Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. Amen. So I take eyes to see. I take ears to hear. I forgive everybody of everything. I receive supernatural debt cancellation. The Word of God that I'm about to receive will enable me and empower me to make Jesus famous in my everyday life. You may be seated. Open your Bible to Psalm 109. Pick it up with part five of your prayer life matters. Part five of your prayer life matters. You can download the notes for this message through the Bible app on the Version Bible app. Just look at the events section, Faith Christian Center, your prayer life matters, part five. And as always, you can get this message on our podcast or on our website for free. We just want to get the word to you and be a blessing so that you can grow in the things of God. Amen. Psalm 109, verse 4, has been one of our key passages of Scripture for this 40 days of prayer. In this passage, to understand more of the context, David is under immense pressure. He's surrounded with people who hate him. But his response is found in verse 4. I give myself unto prayer. By saying I give myself without the italics, because the italics were added at the ease of the translator, so it could be taken out by us. David says, I am prayer. Charles Spurgeon said about this passage, his enemies became malice, but David became prayer. Can you say that about yourself today, that your identity is prayer? A lot of people think about with everything we've been seeing going on in our country over the last 40 days or so, every hurricane, every earthquake, every natural disaster, every terrorist attack, thinking what are we going to do is so many pray for hashtags, how do we actually pray? But the thing is, if you're a person of prayer and your identity is prayer, you won't just be praying, responding to things. You'll get to a place where you can pray and prevent things. It's not just good to pray afterwards. Yes, you should pray after something happens. But if you're given to prayer, body of believers in the area given to prayer, they can stop certain things from happening. By using their authority, by praying for those in authority, things don't always have to happen. You say, well, this is the end time. Yes, but it doesn't have to happen in your area. There are certain things that do not have to happen if the church prays and gives itself to prayer. We have to become where we can say, I am prayer. That means making prayer your lifestyle. I like what Pastor Mekon Carter says, if you're not going to pray about it, don't post about it. If you're not going to pray about it, don't post about it. A lot of people put up hashtags, pray for Las Vegas, pray for Mexico, pray for Puerto Rico, pray for the Virgin Islands, pray for this, pray for that. And they should, but they really don't pray, they just hashtag it. Social activism could bring awareness, but there's no power in it. There's no power posting pray for this if you're not going to pray. So if you're not going to pray about it, why tell other people to pray about it? Amen? So we need to make prayer our lifestyle. And in order to pray about all the things that are going on, yes, you should have your prayer time in the morning, but you just walk connected with God. You see different things. Father, lift that up to you, and I pray this or that concerning it. You just take time. You're praying in the Spirit under your breath as you see different things, and you are replying to it. You have to live from this place of prayer. So you're driving down the street, and you see someone that looks like they're having a bad day. You're going somewhere. 
You can't stop and talk to them. But he says, Father, you know who they are. I pray for them. I don't know where they are with you, but if they don't know so, you, I pray that you send the right person across the path to minister word to them in a way they can receive it. I pray that you're a blessing to them today. Now, that took 10, 15 seconds, but there was power in your prayer. Live in a place of prayer where you're always before God asking and receiving, not just for you, but for others too. So prayer is not supposed to be a boring ritual and discipline that a Christian must suffer through. As we said over the last few weeks, there is a God-sized adventure that awaits every praying believer. A lifestyle of prayer leads the believer on an adventurous journey in the spirit. Our working definition for prayer for the 40 days of prayer is twofold. We said prayer is communication with God and prayer is working with God. There is a side of prayer where you are communicating to God and there is a part of prayer where you are working with God through your praying. Last Wednesday, we talked about praying for people consistently and praying them through situations and circumstances. And it says when it comes to that, that's mean you pray for someone once. That means you stand before God and you pray for them until you get that note of victory in your spirit. So that means some people may just be prayer projects. You know, they're far away from God. That's okay. Just pray for them every day. Says, well, I don't know what else to pray. Just pray for them in the Holy Ghost. That doesn't mean you have to happen to like them. They could be your enemy. And you're having a hard time controlling your mouth saying something good about them. Just pray in the Holy Ghost. Let the Holy Ghost say something good about them until he works into you enough to where you can speak the right words concerning them. Don't pray, kill them, Jesus, strike them down dead. There's a lightning bolt with their name on it. That's not how you pray effectively. You have to pray in the spirit for people and pray them through. So we're talking about a lifestyle prayer, not just God bless them, that's it. We're talking about being serious people of prayer. On Sunday, we looked at the importance of being persistent in prayer so that reinforcements of the power of God and the angels of God can be released in the situation. We looked at Daniel's life, how as soon as he prayed, an angel was released. But when he stayed in that place of prayer, more angels were released. There are situations that may not have changed for you yet because you've only prayed concerning it once, and you left it at that. And he said, well, nothing has changed, and you forgot about it, but you don't realize there is a spiritual warfare. There are things trying to keep you from receiving what God has for you. But if you were to stay in the place of prayer, more reinforcements will be released and things would change for your good. So it's not just enough to pray for someone once. Certain circumstances take time to pray through. There are things I pray concerning church finances. But I understand I just don't pray once about it. Because if Satan wants to stop what we're doing, he's going to try to attack our finances. And so if the people who faithfully give, what he's going to do is try to unleash demons to cause their stuff to break down, to cause issues on their job, doing whatever he can. And it's not just about Jews, it's about people coming to know Jesus. So he says, I don't want them to know Jesus, so I'm going to stop these people from giving. And so it's not just a confession of faith calling money in, it's praying to the Holy Ghost about it, releasing angels to deal with demons that are trying to stop and take your money. You have to realize that if you are faithful to God, God is interested in your prosperity, and Satan doesn't want you to prosper. Because if you're on his side, he won't care if you prosper. He'll give you money. But if you're going to do something for the kingdom, Satan will try to stop you from getting money. 
So don't go think about it so strange. Well, why does it seem like I keep hitting a brick wall? No, you have an enemy that's trying to keep you from getting money because he understands if you get it, people are going to the kingdom of God. So that means don't give up. Use your faith. Use your authority and press till it changes. And know that if God is interested in you prospering, he's going to take you to a place that's better than you've ever dreamed of. I like what Mark Hankins says is if you get addicted to giving, God will support your habit. And we looked at on Sunday how even giving is an effective form of spiritual warfare. So we left off talking about doors on Sunday. We'll pick that up tonight. Go to Colossians chapter 4, verse 3. Talk about praying for doors in the last 10 minutes of the message. Colossians chapter 4, verse 3. Why are doors important? Colossians chapter 4, verse 3. We looked at how Paul here was telling them, because he's in Rome under house arrest, praying for an open door for him here. We looked at the results of what happened when Paul got that open door in Rome. Colossians chapter 4, verse 3. With all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds. So Paul is under house arrest, can't leave the area, but he says, pray that I have an open door, and as a result of the open door, the word of God filled the entire city of Rome because of one open door. Go to Acts chapter 14, verse 27. We're going to look at the results of open doors to build your faith concerning praying for open doors. Acts 14, 27. Verse 27 is Paul's recap of what happened in chapter 13 and chapter 14 of his first missionary journey. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them. How did they sum it up? And how he opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. So to sum up chapter 13 and 14, Paul said, God opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. What are the Gentiles? Those are the nations. And so, what was that result? Let's go to chapter 13 and look at it. What is the result of this open door? You see in chapter 13, picking up verse 2, that there were some prophets and, the te and teachers from different multicultural backgrounds and economic statuses. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. So they took time. They probably sensed in their hearts that God wanted to do something. So they set time aside to pray, to fast, to worship. And as they did that, the Holy Ghost said. So either through tongues and interpretation or prophecy, a word came forth saying, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost. Paul and Barnabas launching into ministry was a result of this time of prayer, fasting, and worship. The open door they receive is also the result of the time of prayer, fasting, and worship. And so the first thing you see about this open door, you see in verse 12, when they go to this city called Paphos and they begin to minister... Sergius Paulus, the highest officer of Paphos, believes in Jesus. 
He was a Gentile. He was a heathen before. But Paul preached, and he becomes born again. The result of an open door is the highest city official comes to know Jesus. What happens when you have an open door? Sometimes people are doors. Where one person turns, an entire city turns. Do you see that in Scripture? Yeah, John chapter 4. Jesus talked to the woman at the well. See, the thing is, people can be doors that you never expect to be doors. No one but God would have known that this woman can cause a whole city to turn. Everyone else said, well, you have to go talk to so-and-so. You have to talk to so-and-so. Jesus is chilling at the well because he's tired. And God opens the door to that area of Samaritans through this one woman's testimony. Her testimony, the whole city came out to hear what Jesus had to say. And after three days, they said, now we believe Jesus because of what he says, not just because of your word. Because of one open door. So people can be doors. They can be gateways to entire regions changing for the glory of God. So we see Sergius Paulus in verse 12 believes in Jesus. As we continue down, Paul and his party travels to Antioch and Pisidia. And we see there that many people became believers. At that first meeting, he preaches one Sabbath day, and many people become believers. More people want to hear on part two of that message. So when he preaches the second week, it says almost the entire city shows up. Now, that's pretty good. You had a normal crowd one week. The next week, there's not enough room that almost the entire city shows up. An open door. And it says continually the word was published throughout the entire region. Chapter 14, verse 1, And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews, and so spake that a great multitude of both Jews and also of the Greeks believed. So now you don't have five people here, five people here getting saved, a whole multitude of Jews and Greeks to start following Jesus. And he keep reading, you see, signs and wonders accompanied the ministry of the word. When you look at verse 21, they leave those areas and they go to Derby. And that phrase in verse 21 says, and when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, that phrase taught many in the Greek actually means they made many disciples. So if you just read through it, you think, okay, they had a teaching meeting and they left. No, they went to that city and taught in such a way that people weren't just converted. They became disciples. They followed the way of the master. Then he goes back to all the cities he just preached in and preaches again. And it says the church is strengthened. They install leadership in the church. Now it's not just a group of believers. Now there are churches in all of these areas. There are churches in all these cities, and there's leadership to take care of them. And then Paul goes back home, and he has verse 27, and says it was an open door. Those are results if a door opens. Go to 1 Corinthians 16, verse 8. Talking about what is an open door. It was important enough for Paul to ask them to pray for it. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 8. 
Paul says, but I will tarry or I'll wait at Ephesus until Pentecost for a great door and effectual is open unto me and there are many adversaries. So now it's not just a door has opened. Paul says a great, a huge, a megas door has opened. But although a huge door has opened for me, there are many enemies. Just because you have an open door doesn't mean it's always smooth sailing. A lot of people want to get to the promised land. How many of you want to get to your promised land? I want to let you know there are giants in your promised land. There are walled cities in your promised land. People think when I get to the promised land, it's just easy street. No, when you get to the promised land, there's some fighting you got to do. Everybody loves to preach the promised land, but they don't realize there's some war they got to do once they get there. And even in the promised land, when he studied out, God said that they will grow into it. He says, it's too big for you right now. So you may get into your promised land and have some growing to do before you can possess all the promised land. And so he says, there's a great open door, but there are many enemies. And spiritual things, there are some doors that may be open, but there are demonic powers that are sitting on the door, sitting in front of the door, trying to block what God wants to be done. And so although there's an open door, there are many demons working through people trying to stop Paul's ministry. Now, Paul doesn't exaggerate. So if he's saying there's many adversaries, this is a tough situation. How else did Paul describe it? Chapter 15, verse 32. He says, if after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus. Whoa, 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 whoa. Fought with beasts. Wild beasts, wild animals. Now, Paul is a Roman, and so they would not make Roman, Roman citizens have that type of punishment when they throw them to the animals. So what is Paul describing? People. He says, these adversaries are like wild animals. He called Nero a lion. But Nero wasn't at this city. He's talking about the people who opposed him were like wild, ravenous beasts. Those are his many adversaries. On the other side of it, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He's recapping what happened. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. Right into the church of Corinth again. He says, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia. Now, when Paul talks about Asia, he's not talking about what we consider China and Japan and the Korean Peninsula. He's talking about modern day Turkey where Ephesus is. So he says, The trouble which came to us in Asia, or modern day Turkey, in Ephesus, that we were pressed out of measure above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we have the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raises the dead. What is he saying? We thought we were going to die. Paul's a faith preacher, full of boldness, full of confidence. He thought, we might die here. Whew. But there was an open door. He goes on and says, but we have the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raises the dead. Who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver, and whom we trust that he will yet deliver us? Does yet we look like we're going to die, but God delivered us. He raises the dead. He delivered us, and he will deliver us again. 
So whatever happened, he says, God stepped in and got us out of it. There's no other way for him to escape if God did not get involved in that situation. As you heard Minister Dave that exhort earlier, God is faithful. What do he say in verse 11? You also helping together by prayer for us. That for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. Wait a minute. So he says, God delivered us, but he says, you helped us get delivered. How? They prayed. The church of Corinth prayed. Now, the church of Corinth, before you think, well, they must be some super spiritual, loving Jesus, holy people, the church of Corinth had issues. If I ever teach on the church of uh, the Corinthian letters, verse by verse, I may call it church gone wild. Because for the first five, six chapters, Paul is correcting them. And he says, by you get to chapter six, he says, now concerning the things you wrote me about. But I had six chapters to get out concerning how hot mess you've been living. He tells them at one point, you're sinning worse than sinners. So he goes on, all the things that are going on. But this church that has so many issues prayed for Paul, and Paul said, you help me get delivered. So even if you're still working out your salvation, not as mature in the things of God, you're a baby believer still messing up your diaper, it's okay. Just don't stay there forever. But your prayer still has power. Even if you got saved on Sunday, your prayer has power. You got saved right before you came in this building. Your prayer has power. So don't think, well, I don't have any power in my prayer because I barely know what I'm doing. Nope, your prayer has power. You just got to be faithful in what you're doing. The way you grow spiritually is you're faithful. You don't just grow maturity overnight. It's not like, well, I've been saved 20 years, so now I'm mature. No. You got people saved 20, 50 years. That's still babies messing their diapers. Spiritual maturity comes from people who consistently do what the Word says. So even if you're spiritually immature, if you start on this path of prayer, you will mature. And your prayer still has power. So Paul told them, you helped me, you helped save my life. You helped deliver me from these wild beast people. You helped deliver me from my enemies because you helped me in prayer. We can't be the people who just say, they say people say, oh, this and this is going on in my life. He says, okay, I'll pray for you. And you never pray for them. You know, because it's a nice sentiment, but make sure you actually pray. If you think you're going to forget to pray for them before the day is done, stop them right there. Let's pray right now. Don't just say, I'll pray for you. That's as bad as posting. Pray for so-and-so, and you never pray. There's actually power in our prayers. There's not power saying, I will pray for you if you never pray. Go to Romans 15. So we're not just to stop at praying for an open door, but we need to assist those ministering by praying for them consistently. Romans 15, verse 30. What did he tell the church at Rome? Paul hadn't gone to Rome here when he wrote this letter. He was praying and believing to get to Rome. He hadn't got there yet. He hadn't started the church at Rome. We're already believers there. So he's writing to them. In verse 30, he says, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Why? That I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, 
and that my servants which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may be with you refreshed. So Paul's saying, I need you to pray about these three things. Work together with me in your prayers. Work together with me in your praying. Here are the three things I want you to pray for. That I will be delivered from them that don't believe. When you read the last chapters of Acts, you see what happened as a result of those who don't believe. What they try to do to Paul. How they try to kill him. How some of them, a group of men took up a vow and said, we're not going to eat until we kill Paul. You may have some haters, but no one has ever said, I will not have Chick-fil-A until I kill you. Paul had some people trying to kill him. So he said, pray that I'll be delivered from them that don't believe in Judea. And that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted for the saints. So the ministry that I have and this gift that I've collected of the Gentiles will be received. So let's pray for my ministry and my mission while I'm there. And pray that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may be with you refreshed. So pray that I will make it to Rome. Now it took a long time for Paul to get to Rome. Because of what happened while he was in Jerusalem, the two years he was left there for political favors, the hurricane in the water, the shipwreck, but he finally got there. And part of the reason was not just Paul and his praying and the angel that stood by him and what Jesus ministered unto him, but because the church of Rome prayed for him. He says, work together with me in your prayers. A lot of times we want to think the will of God is automatic. And that, you know, God has called certain people, so it doesn't matter what happens, they will do exactly what God wants them to do. The will of God is not automatic. The Bible says it is God's will that all be saved. But we know all will not be saved because all have a choice. And some will not choose Jesus. The will of God is not automatic. So the effectiveness of the ministry of the man or woman of God is not just up to them in their life and their prayer life. It's also up to the church. Not just the church there who's ministering to them, but other churches who God has given the responsibility to pray for them. You have a responsibility as a church to pray for me. But we as a church also have a responsibility to pray for our bishop, the one who founded the ministry. There are things that may happen for him in Europe and in Africa because we pray. We have a responsibility to help those who God has called to preach to get to that place through prayer. Because people think that when they get to the throne of God, God hands out all these rewards, that it's going to be all the preachers standing up front getting all the rewards first. No. There are some people who prayed those preachers into the earth, who knew there was an area that needed help, so they began to pray in the Holy Ghost. And how does God solve issues? He causes a baby to be born. So there have been people praying for decades for certain people to be born. Imagine the person who's going to get the reward for praying in the Holy Ghost and getting Oral Roberts to come into the earth. Imagine the person praying and got Kenneth Hagin to come into the earth. They're going to, Kenneth Hagin or Roberts, they're getting rewards. But think about the person who prayed them in. People may not know their names, but God knows their names. So we're on Judgment Day, the church is getting her, the rewards, and the name calls out, so like, who is that? Who is that? And you see heaven erupt in praise. You see all the saints of old begin to cheer. You see all the angels begin to cheer. And you just got there. It's like, who is this person? Oh, they prayed so-and-so in. And because they prayed that person into the kingdom of God, a billion people came to know Jesus. You got to work together in your prayers. 
it's not just the apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers. It's the praying church that releases the reinforcement. It's the praying church that can help men and women of God take their step into the office that's supposed to be. I think I said it last week or in a previous week, there may be some ministry gifts, people who are called to greater offices, but they're nervous about stepping out into the office. But if you consistently continue to pray for them, boldness will rise up in them and they'll step into their place. And then you'll receive a award for their ministry. You may not even know them personally. They may never even know you exist or you prayed for them, but God knows what you prayed, and you'll get their result too. We have a responsibility in prayer. We have to work together in our praying. Go back to Colossians 4 verse 12. Colossians 4, verse 12. Notice how Paul's closing out this letter. He says, Epaphras, who was one of you, a servant of Christ, salutes you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. So what is he working with God doing? He's praying that they may be mature and complete in everything. So, yeah, Paul is the main preacher who started the church. Epaphras is one of Paul's assistant ministers that goes and preaches in the church and strengthens them. But even when Epaphras is not there with them, all he's doing in his free time is praying for this church. Praying that they grow up into the things of God. And you keep reading about him. You see in the next verse that Paul says he has a great zeal for you and for them of Laodicea and for them in Heropolis. So he's praying for these three churches all the time, praying that they grow up in the things of God. Like Paul did in Galatians 4.19, praying for the church of Galatia that Christ will be fully formed and then travailing for them in prayer. This is what Epaphras is doing. He is working in prayer. Paul called his prayer life work. Because that's not someone praying, God bless the church of Colossae, bless the church in Laodicea, bless the church in Heropolis, thank you for them, thank you for their pastors, amen. No. He is praying for them. Every day, praying in the spirit for them every day. He gets a free moment. He's praying for them, for their spiritual growth, for their maturity, standing before God for them. So there are things happening in those churches that they don't even realize what happened. They don't even know, whoa, how did that move of God happen? Whoa, that was an amazing service. How did that happen? That was an amazing experience. What happened? Epaphras was praying hundreds of miles away. They were receiving the benefits because someone prayed. I was listening to a message from Dad Hagen that he preached somewhere back in the 80s. And, you know, thank God for YouTube because they got all these classic Dad Hagen teachings on there. And so I'm listening to it, and he was talking about one of his mentors of faith, and he was talking about prayers. And they were saying there are some things you'll see that happens in services and conferences that happen not because the church prayed that week, but as a result of prayers the church prayed a year ago. He says everything is seed, time, and harvest. Prayers are seed. So we can take time and pray, and we may be praying about because there's no time or distance in the Spirit. It may seem like it's about to happen, but we could be praying for something a year away or five years away. When you yield yourself and pray. That's how when you get stuff in prayer, you can be a place in prayer, and, you know, God's putting something in your heart, and it seems like something's supposed to happen tomorrow. Like, yeah, that's what God wants me to do. I'm going to do it tomorrow. God did not tell you to do it tomorrow. You just sense that's what God wants to do. 
but you have to get the wisdom from God. When do you want me to do it? And stay in God's time. Following him, not getting ahead of him. Because if you get ahead of him, then he's got to clean up everything you messed up. So in prayer, you have to get his wisdom concerning his timing. Because you can start praying for things because it's no, it's, you're praying in the realm of eternity. And when you get into that realm, there is no time. There are times when the glory of God will move in here so strong, you won't realize that time has gone by. I remember I was in a meeting a number of years ago at Sister Billy Brim's prayer conference. And uh, Brother Copeland had just finished preaching. Preached for an hour, two hours, who knows. And then he began to prophesy about the return of the Lord about what it's going to be like right before Jesus comes back and the glorified church. And we began to rejoice. And I know my eyes were open to the Spirit. I just saw the cloud come in the room. I don't think everyone saw it. But it, we were all just in this holy silence. And the next thing I noticed is I heard Sister Billy say, Amen. And I looked at my clock. I think 30, 40 minutes had gone by. It felt like seconds. We were in this holy awe because you stepped into the realm of eternity. I remember Keith Moore, t- Keith Moore telling this testimony, talking about his father who went home to be with the Lord suddenly. And so he had this vision a number of years ago, but he didn't share it to recently. He said he, the Lord took him to heaven. He's walking around there, and Jesus took him to his dad. And so they began to talk about things that were in the future, but like it already happened. Things he was praying about doing, though the Lord wanted him to do in a few years. But as they talked, he realized later, we talked like it had already happened. You can get to a place of prayer where you're working on things in the future and you've already handled it, even though you haven't walked in it yet. Do not, I say, do not walk into places you haven't prayed through yet. You should walk in places you've already prayed through. You shouldn't just go out there and say, well, I'll pray about it later. No, go into places you've already prayed through, places you've already prayed concerning. Because in that place, you will have the maximum success. In that place, you'll have a man For if my people would take this mentality in prayer, things would move out the way a lot easier for them. They wouldn't run into so many challenges, so many giants, because in prayer, they would have already handled it. They would have handled things from afar instead of just happening face, face to face with this enemy. So if you give yourself to pray and you pray about things before they happen, you'll walk in the path that I prepared for you and you'll see more victory, says the Lord. We have to be people of prayer. We have to give ourselves to prayer and pray about things. Take time to pray in the Holy Ghost. Take time, especially when you have some more free time. Instead of always doing everything you just want to do, take some of that time and pray in the Holy Ghost. Just yield your tongue. Sir, is there anything you want me to pray about? I yield my tongue to you and I pray in the Holy Ghost about it. And let God make ways for you. I remember a friend of mine was praying out the next part of their life. They, they had told me, they, we came to the office, they said, you know, it felt like I was just praying this morning. I prayed in the spirit for about three hours. And it felt like I prayed out the next season of my life. I was like, okay. And then the next thing I know, they go live in Hawaii for like 18 months. 
doing things they love to do. The path already paid for and prepared. I'm like, well, I guess you did pray about the next season of your life. Some of you are like, Lord, maybe if I pray more in the Holy Ghost, I get sent to Hawaii for a little while. Well, what do they do? They prayed out their next season. Sometimes it takes time praying out things concerning your purpose and your season. You think, well, I'm just going to walk in it. No, take time and pray about it in the Holy Ghost. Pray about it in the Holy Ghost. Pray about it in the Holy Ghost. God told David when he was a teenager, he anointed him to be king. David wasn't king until he was 30. The Lord told me I was supposed to pastor this church when I was 17. It happened until I was 27. But that doesn't mean God's plan has changed. You just have to stay on God's timetable. That doesn't mean you have to tell everybody everything God told you. Let God's secrets stay secret. Because if you're a person of prayer, God will tell you his secrets. What he didn't tell you, go tell everybody what he told you. You start telling everybody what God told you, he ain't going to tell you his secrets no more. How many of you would keep telling people your secrets if they keep telling people? No. God didn't tell you to tell what he said to you and put it on Facebook. Keep that between you and God. And let God work it out. And afterwards, you can tell people, yeah, God talked to me about that five years ago. There are things God will want you to share, but ask him about it before you share You may pray about people and you know things they're going to do in the future. That doesn't mean you tell them. There are things I pray about you and I know things that you're going to do. doesn't mean God told me to tell you. He may let you know for your benefit, but also so you can pray that person into that place. So we have to be people of prayer that understand when you get consistent like that, that's the adventure. You start seeing things in the future. Because remember, the Holy Spirit will show you things to come. That's why Jesus sent him. He'll announce it to you, and you can start talking about those things in prayer. You can start preparing the way for it in prayer. Just like John the Baptist came to prepare the way of Jesus, you can prepare the way for things in prayer. You can make the crooked path straight. You can lift up the low places. You can tear down the high places in prayer. But that's not for a person who just prays, well, God bless them, and that's it. That's a person who makes prayer their lifestyle, who makes prayer their identity. Let's go to Acts 19. So let's look at this open door Paul had and the many adversaries. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the word and for tongues and interpretation of tongues. Acts 19. Paul gets to Ephesus. He finds certain disciples and asks them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? Have you been baptized in the Holy Ghost? They say, we haven't even know if it, we haven't been taught if there was a Holy Ghost. So Paul lays his hands on them. They get filled with the Holy Ghost, speak in other tongues. They prophesy. They get baptized. And then Paul goes to the synagogue, and he preaches there for three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. When divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia, remember modern-day Turkey, 
heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Everybody in that region heard. Not just there is a Jesus. They heard the message Paul preached. This is an open door. Everybody, not one person missed, heard the message. Because the thing is, you can preach in one place for two years, and nobody know you there. Or you can preach in a place two years with an open door, and the whole city is moved. But now it's not just the city, it's a region. A lot of the churches in the book of Revelation, those seven churches, are in modern-day Turkey. They were all started by the Apostle Paul. Came out of this. What happened next? And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs and aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. And then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits in the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. And there were seven sons of one Sceva Jew and chief of priests which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? So what are they doing? These are warlocks, witches. They collect incantations. And they see Paul can cast demons out by saying, in the name of Jesus. So, ooh, let's collect that one and try it out ourselves. So they go to a case that they probably thought was pretty hard, seven of them. And they say, we adjure you. In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, come out. The dude turns and looks at him. Jesus, I definitely know who that dude is. Still remember how he kicked my tail in hell. I know who he is. Paul, that word I know means I've recently come into acquaintance with Paul by watching him. I know who that dude is. But who is you? And then what do you do? He took on seven guys, beat them, took their clothes so they ran out the house bleeding and naked. Now, you got to think, whew, what is that going to do to a city? Is that going to make the city afraid? No, that message fills the whole city. And what happens? Everybody begins to reverence the name of Jesus. Why? There's an open door. But now people are playing with the name of Jesus. Jesus is not a cuss word. You know, mm, you may not want to say that wrong name around people because it will work for Paul, but it may make a demon beat you up. Let's respect that name. What happens next? It says, this was known to the Jews and Greeks, also to one of Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, reverence fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also would use curious arts, witchcraft brought their books together and burned them before all men, and they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. This is millions of dollars. So there are many people who had dabbled in the cult, had been involved in witchcraft. They got saved. So they took all their things, all their books, and they burned them and said, we ain't going back to that life anymore. This is not just people being converted. These are people being disciples. They're living radically for Christ. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. It didn't just grow and prevail. It mightily grew the word and prevailed. After these things were ended, so that at the end of these two years, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered unto him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a season. And at the same time, there arose no small stir about the way. A storm begins to brew. 
We've looked at this at the beginning of the year that we know. We studied that it was a demonic spirit that stirred up the storm. Why? It has lost territory. An entire region that was bound in pagan practices has awakened to Jesus. For two years, it could not stop Paul. They've been watching Paul. They've been spying on Paul. They tried every dirty trick, but it doesn't work. So they begin to stir up the storm. What is the storm? For a certain man named Demetrius. Now you're about to meet the wild beast Paul dealt with. A silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen, whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation and said, Sirs, you know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, you see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away much people, saying that there be no gods which are made with hands, so that not only this our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worships. Wait a minute. This guy is concerned and afraid. You got to think, the temples, you study in the Greek history, all these temples that were built. He is concerned with the way this is going, how influential Paul is. You'll see later that Paul had friends in every level of government, that that temples are going to be torn down. You would never think that would happen in pagan times. But Paul's getting so much influence. Things are changing so rapidly, he thinks that whole pagan religion is about to fall in that region. And why is his main concern? Hey, we make idols for Diana. That's how we make our money. People aren't buying our idols no more. We've lost out on a lot of money. Where was the money going? Paul. The economy had shifted. Instead of supporting pagan practices, the people got saved, stopped buying witchcraft, and began to support the kingdom of God. And open doors shifted the economy. And now he's upset saying, our bottom line is not being met because this Paul has preached and the entire region is following this Jesus. So he's stirring up a riot in Ephesus. It's the storm caused by the demon. And so Paul wanted to, they take some of Paul's companions captive. They bring them to the theater, and Paul's like, well, I'm just going to end this. I'm going to go and talk to them. Now, yes, Paul is bold, but think about how much influence Paul had to have in that city if he really thought I could walk in and tell them to calm down. This is a high level of influence. He knew all the people there knew him. Remember, the whole region knew about Paul. Every single one of them heard Paul preach once, at least once. But Paul's friends and the government sent people and said, don't let Paul go in. Paul, please, do not go in there. We like you. We want you safe. We want you alive. They would not let him go in there. So now you have government officials trying to protect Paul. This is a level of influence because people all throughout the government got saved. They calmed down the riot. Everyone is dismissed, and Paul goes into his next city. All this happened because of an open door. Even though there were many adversaries, many enemies, at times Paul thought he was going to die. But it wasn't effective 
because the churches prayed for him. They didn't just pray that door open. They prayed and assisted him as he walked through that door. There are doors that can close over time if the people of God are not prayerful concerning them. There are doors that can close over time if the people of God are not prayerful concerning them. Doors are also opportunities. Jesus told the church of Philadelphia in Revelation 3, verse 8, that I set before you an open door. It was an open door that no man can close. It was Jesus' reward for them and their faithfulness. But just because God sets an open door in front of you doesn't mean you walk through it. If you do not walk through the door or take advantage of the opportunity, you will miss your window. Leonard Ravenhill said it this way, the opportunity of a lifetime must be seized during the lifetime of the opportunity. The opportunity of a lifetime must be seized during the lifetime of the opportunity. So God can open a door for you, but you must walk through. God can create an opportunity, but you must take advantage of the opportunity. Or open doors have no results if you don't walk through it. So you should pray daily for wide open doors of utterance for me and for this 10-mile radius and the area where you live. There are things that are happening. There are places that I get to speak into and invited to that if you would have told me five years ago, I was like, yeah, that would be great. That would be wonderful if it happens. And now there have been meetings I've been in. I went to the meeting to learn. You know, you should always learn. If you can lead, you should always learn. So I go to this community meeting to learn. And so a situation comes up, and they say, Pastor Butler, what should we do about it? I'm like, yeah, Pastor Butler, what should we do about it? Oh, that's me, Jesus. <laughs> All right, Holy Ghost, what should we do about this? I came to learn. Now they say, hey, what should we do? What is that? Open doors, opportunity. God is changing things. And we're going to walk through all the doors he has for us. But they're going to stay open if you pray. More will be opened if you pray. You have to pray for doors to open. You have to pray for things that are trying to block the door to be removed. So that we as a church family can walk through every door God has for us. Because not only will we be blessed because we take advantage of the opportunity, many will come to know Jesus. So you should pray for open doors for me and for this church and for the 10-mile radius around our land every single day. But you should also pray about doors and over doors in your personal life. That you would have the wisdom to walk through those doors and know what to do. But also ask God for doors to minister to people in your realm of influence. There are people I can't preach to because I don't know. But you can share the gospel with them because they're in your realm of influence. So you pray for the open door and ask God to give you the words to minister when that door opens. Then you have to use that boldness and do it. Doors should be something we pray about every single day. You'll get to a place concerning doors, you won't know any English to pray about it or know any more scriptures to pray about it. So you just begin to pray about it in the Holy Ghost. And then words will come up from your spirit, English words. You just say those words out. Why? You say, well, I haven't prayed in English when I prayed in the Holy Ghost before. You may have not prayed long enough in the Holy Ghost. 
Because it usually doesn't happen in just pray five seconds. You got to take time and pray in the Holy Ghost. Let the Holy Spirit have his full expression through you. Just yield to him. Let him pray out things. There's some things you'll know what you prayed about, and there's some things you won't. There's some people I'll pray for. I'll walk around praying for them. God doesn't tell me anything about them, but I know I prayed and things changed in their lives. There'll be things he'll reveal to me. I'll say, yep, I see that. I'll pray concerning that. We must be people of prayer and not always be reactionary to things. You can go into the future with your prayers. You can step out in things to come by your praying and handle it in advance. One of the things we'll talk about next week is how to pray for your children effectively. One of the things we'll cover this Sunday is about the family series is how to pray for your spouse effectively. And those of you who are looking for a spouse, how to pray that spouse in. Because you don't want them to, be, to arrive and be a hot mess. You want them to, be a, uh, to arrive and be ready. Well, some of you want hot messes, but okay. <laughs> but we're going to talk about that Sunday and then next Wednesday. We have to be people of prayer. Because when we pray, things change. Yes, there's action that has to be followed up. But those actions will not be effective if we're not people of prayer. Amen? Stand to your feet. Glory to God. We're in a believer's meeting tonight, so let's take a few minutes and pray in the Holy Ghost about doors. Go ahead and pray in the Holy Ghost. Maoro stilema gangri isto osomonda rambahandi stale decana mancasto. Father, we pray about doors, doors in this area, 10 mile radius around our land. We pray that you open a wide door of utterance unto us. That we may speak forth the mystery of the gospel, bold as you ought. We pray for doors to those who are in authority. Open doors. Open doors concerning those who are in authority. Open doors concerning those who hold authority. Yes, yes, open doors to the police and the sheriffs. Open doors to public safety. Open doors to city councils. Open doors to representatives. Open doors to senators. Open doors to those who have influence in this 10-mile radius. Just like Jesus ministered to the woman at the well, Father, show us those who, have, who are the doors to these cities. Whether there be people of influence and authority or people you know, that if they turn, the whole region opens. Reveal them unto us that we may minister unto them that our ministry as individuals, as a church family, will have the maximum impact and the kingdom of God will be strengthened and blessed by it. So we pray for more doors in the name of Jesus. That you grant each and every individual here doors, even tomorrow, open doors, opportunities, yes, to share the gospel, but open doors to step out further into their purpose, launching out into their purpose. You had us call this, work this year launch so we can launch out to the things that you have for us. So I pray for doors, windows to be opened that we may launch out to what you have for us. Things will not be delayed. We pray that things will accelerate because we launch out through this open door that we'll be able to do through this door in a year more than what we could have done in 10 years. Mangro, 
Oh, Rababasita Yamanga. That you open for us doors that no man can close. That you close doors on the enemy that he would seek to use to bring harm to your people. Close doors on the father of the doors that Jesus closes. No one can open. Oh, we thank you for it. Oh, we thank you for it. Yep, we thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name. Say, we receive open doors. In our lives, in our area, and in our church. In Jesus' name. Pray about doors every day. Pray from your spirit. Don't get caught up in your mind thinking, I have to pray this, I have to pray for this. Yield and let your spirit pray. Remember, you are spirits. You have a soul. You live in a natural body. If you always try to handle everything from the natural standpoint, you will not live as supernatural people, but you'll be, be just mere men and mere women. Not live into the fullness of what redemption provides for you. If the believer would walk in the fullness of redemption, the uninformed would mistake them for the risen Savior. That's how much is available in your redemption. That's how much glory is available to you. But in order to tap into it, you must be praying, people. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.